Hello and welcome to Elevating Founders, the podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges, brought to you by London Tech Week. I'm your host, Sina Sadzada. This week, we are kicking off with our very own Elka Goldstein, CEO of EQL Her, who, through EQL Her's global event series at London, Asia and Africa Tech Festival, champion women founders, leaders and change makers in tech. In this episode, Elka chats to Katrina Campbell, CTIO at EY UK and Ireland. With a previous entrepreneurial background as a founder of experience design firm Seren and a newfound interest in AI, Elka and Katrina's conversation spans insights into building a better working world, where they discuss Katrina's transition from her startup pathway at Seren to a larger corporate culture of EY, building a purpose-driven organization and the importance of a successful leadership approach. And Katrina's recently published book, which introduces the audience to artificial intelligence and its importance to our future. I'm really looking forward to jumping into this episode. I'm now going to hand over to Elka. Welcome, and thank you for joining the Elevating Founders podcast. My name is Elka Goldstein, and I'm CEO of EQL Her at Informa Tech Founders. Today's episode is on building a better working tomorrow. Joining us today is the CTIO of EY UK in Ireland, Katrina Campbell. Now, before taking this role, Katrina founded the London-based experience design firm called Seren. Saren hosted clients such as Barclays, Sky, Vodafone, Dell, and Microsoft, and was later acquired by EY in 2015. While running Saren, Katrina was voted into the Digital Hall of Fame for contributions to technology design, including the UK government digital guidelines. And if that's not enough to keep her busy, Katrina has written a book for anyone in business to understand the impact of AI called AI by Design. Thank you so much for joining us today, Katrina. Well, thank you for having me. So we'll go ahead and get started with talking about your transition from Saren to EY. Startups can have a different feel, different culture, different vibe. What was it like moving your team from a smaller group to a larger company? Well, you know, I think firstly, let's start with what was Saren. So, so Saren was, um, effectively a, a design agency that worked designing technology. And I mean, a good example is back in 2003, after it was founded in 2000, uh, we, just, we helped the founders of Skype design Skype. So we had been designing technology for, for, for quite some time. Um, so we were a very sophisticated design technology company with offices in Paris, Saudi Arabia, and Riyadh, and also in Dubai as well as our London head office. So when we were looking for a partner to acquire us, we were obviously looking at all of the usual suspects, the big marketing services agencies, the big technology firms, and the big consulting firms. And we selected EY to buy us on the basis that EY is a purpose-driven organization, as were we. So we would quite often turn down work that didn't fit with our moral code. Similarly to EY, it is all about, for us, it's all about building a better working world. So that was their, that's their strapline, that's EY's strapline. So when we were in the sale process, we had these chemistry meetings. I'm sure anybody out there who sold a business will understand that it's really important to go on with the people as well as to, to envision your company as being part of something larger. And the partners from EY who came in to meet with us were just incredible. 
I mean, immediate rapport. So when it came time for us to be merged into EY, the UK operation, um, it really was quite an easy process, if I'm honest. Uh, I did expect it to be to be to be difficult, but gosh, I mean, the people just made it so easy. So our Paris office went into EY France, our MENA offices went into that region's offices, and our London-based head office, which was in Shoreditch, remained in our office in Shoreditch and has remained there until recently and now is part of the big London headquarters um, by Tower Bridge. So that made the, uh, I guess, the acquisition much easier because we were in our own space. Uh, we were really supported by some incredible people. Um, and it was the kind of organization that we wanted to work with. It was a purpose-driven organization. So actually, Elka couldn't have gone any better. <laughs> Well, it sounds like such a great marriage of both companies into it, as opposed to, you know, one buying out the other. Yep. So looking back, you you had easier, you know, moves and with offices. Is there anything that you could tell your past entrepreneur self? Oh, get this ready. Or I, I wish I would have thought about this before we did this big move. Um, so, I mean, I guess I probably would have thought a little bit harder about how we could integrate faster. So <clears throat> being part of the much larger organization meant that there was greater opportunity with more clients, right? So obviously we had been part of a much smaller um, task you know, sales force. And all of a sudden you've got this humongous organization, tens of thousands of people all wanting you to help their clients. So I guess I would have thought, uh, I, I guess, better around how can we scale faster as soon as these opportunities start coming into our pipeline how can we scale um uh, our our talent our pipeline faster um i had no idea how many clients would want our services being part of ey it's just such a trusted brand um you know when i started Saren in the year 2000 um it was all very much about building a brand new brand as a very small company trying to get into uh you know big blue chip organizations in the uk and that was hard uh, if you knock on the door and you say you represent EY, they're already a trusted advisor to almost all of the top 100 FTSE. So it's a much easier process. So I probably would have given some more consideration to how do we scale faster in the organization. Well, and I think that's a great thing for a lot of these founders, listeners to think about as well is as you're getting a new clientele, if you're doing your marketing right, if you're doing your brand awareness right, then hopefully that's the next problem that's going to come knocking. And so thinking about what exactly. is your three month plan and then how do you turn three months into six weeks? <laughs> Exactly, so you exactly. talked a little bit about better working world, and that was really what you felt like the tied to the connection with EY. So the connotation of building a better working world can touch on a few different things. So we can talk about matching job roles to their skills, perhaps building a really inclusive environment in an impactful way. Uh, what are some of the things that are, were really important to you that you wanted to make sure stuck with your team or stuck with your mission? Because we were um, part of the consulting team, the consulting team had the most fantastic talent leaders and operations people. And there was really a phenomenal layer of support built around Saren um, after the acquisition. Um, one, of the, one of the really exciting things for our people, however, was the fact that this whole new world of learning was opened up to them. So I don't know if many people who are listening are aware that um, we launched a free 
tech MBA to every single employee. So we have something like 400,000 employees worldwide at EY. We launched a free tech MBA. We partnered with Halt International Business School and we have a digital learning um, platform and any employee from the most junior to the most senior embarks on a learning development plan that can result in a tech MBA. Um, we've just launched a sustainability MBA and we have a data analytics MBA as well. So for our people, just the ability to leverage that large organization learning portal was just phenomenal because, you know, it's one of the things that as a, as a founder of a business, you try to spend money the right way, but there's so many ways. There's just so, so much money that can go around. Right. So we, we found that um, learning, um, you know, client entertainment, marketing, all of the um, all of those costs that flow through a small startup um, only go so far. So learning was something that, you know, we would have loved to have spent more money in, but sadly really wasn't. We, we didn't have the money to do it. So joining this firm and feeling the power of that large organization was just sensational. So, so many of the team have embarked on these digital badges now in the Seren team um, and uh, are, are progressing towards their MBAs. It's just fantastic. And I think that you really touched on a great point is that's a way to help employees and team members reach their personal goals, but also mm. keeping them engaged with the current role. We're hitting a time where it is the great resignation. People are excited about job changes and how can you stand above all the other brands to be like, you should stay where you're at and we'll help you meet your goals. Mm -hmm. Like that. Yep. I, I also think though, Elka, it has to do with the leadership. Um, so in our organization, we have a great deal of very, very authentic, uh, very competent and very empathetic leaders. And that ACE, authentic, competent and empathetic is something that we focus on. So uh, we have training and transformational leadership skills and leadership skills. And as, as leaders in the organization, um, we, we listen to our employees. We show empathy. Um, we are authentic. We bring our authentic selves to work each day. And um, I like to think that we're pretty competent in our roles. So it's a very, very, um, it's a very good organization when it comes to training our leadership, getting the right kind of um, skills in those leaders and that does inspire people to stay in the organization because having that empathy with leadership um, is not found everywhere in my experience and we've worked with a lot of clients um, as, as Sarah and you know and we've done a lot of projects with um, other organizations and uh, I have found that this organization's leadership to be um, to be one of the best I have seen anywhere in the world. When I, like you said, leadership, being able to pay it forward by creating interesting programs that help. So mm -hmm. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the Neurodiverse Center of Excellence. And so another one that leaders have noticed a way that they can make an impact with their team. Absolutely. Well, I was delighted. Um, about six months ago, uh, our, um, our chairman and, and CEO uh, tapped me in the shoulder and said, listen, there's a model in the US. So five years ago in, in our Philadelphia office, um, our, our, our innovation leader there um, stepped up and said, listen, there's a whole bunch of untapped talent and there's a shortage in the, in the labor market of people with innovation skills. Now, when I say innovation skills, I mean very, very broadly innovation skills and technology. So we're talking about cyber skills, blockchain coding skills, data science skills. Um, and so 
what he said was, he said to the business in America, listen, I want to hire uh, neurodiverse individuals to work in one central function where they can work for all of the business across all of our service lines. So within EY, we do consulting, like, you know, supply chain projects and business consulting. We do technology consulting. Uh, we do risk consulting. We also have tax and audit and insurance businesses, and we have strategy and transactions. They're the guys who do the M&A stuff. Now, across all of that, there are these fungible skills that are required, like data science, data engineering, across all of our service lines. So he thought to himself, well, if I set up a fungible pool of resources who are data scientists primarily, then the business can leverage those. But if we set it up as a very, very secure, very safe, very welcoming environment, perhaps we'll have you know, more success than if we were to just integrate individuals into the whole organization. Perhaps creating that sense of you know, um, safety would be a really good thing, um, and particularly around innovation skills. So he did just that. He hired a whole load of data scientists and engineers who previously, Elka, would have fallen out of a standard recruitment process. So I'll give you an example. One individual in our US Center of Excellence in Philadelphia um, had a, a double first maths degree from MIT, had a PhD in quantum, but unfortunately really wasn't very good in person-to-person -person interviews. And so had failed in a series of interviews. We turned the recruitment model on its head. We said, we're not going to do interviews at all. There's no interviews. We're going to introduce a four-day simulated working experience with EY. So what you do is you have a number of individuals come into the process and they work with us as they would do if they were an employee. So they can get a sense of what the day looks like, how they go to meetings, how they show up, agendas, minutes, etc. And those individuals then, if they decided they liked EY and they liked working like this, and we thought that they could do the job, were then accelerated to hire. Very different recruitment process. Now, these individuals were all employed in Philadelphia and were five years on. The retention rate of those individuals is 95% over five years. Um, we would amazing. be lucky to retain a really good data engineer for two years, three years max, yeah. right? So we're five years today. in. Now, <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, so we effectively decided to do the same thing in the UK. So under my leadership, our first NCOE, as we call it, Neurodiversity Centre of Excellence, has been set up in Manchester in the north of uh, the country, north of England. And um, our Manchester Centre, we expect to grow to 100, 150 people. And those primary individuals who've been employed already are data scientists, data engineers, and they'll service our service lines uh, from that centre of excellence. So I'm really excited, Elka, about the opportunity to spot and nurture really diverse innovation talent in the UK. And I fully expect us to open up other centres um, in Newcastle, Glasgow and London very, very soon. Um, and, and last point on this, um, but by no means least, is that we've spotted that clients are now saying, I think we should do that. We need that. So it's really interesting because we're now what we're doing is we're sharing with clients our model. And we're saying, hey, if you want to set this up, we'll come and we'll help you. So you can set up your own NCOE because, Elka, it's the right thing to do. Um, recently, I read a statistic. It said there's something like 20% um, of the whole workforce has some level of neurodiversity. If we can tap into that, it really is. It helps us and our teams think differently. 
so it's almost it's been described as a superpower. So having that diversity of thought when you're in an innovation program is really an accelerant for us to yeah. do excellent work. And that's certainly something that was borne out um, in our America's practice. They realized that the projects that included our neurodiverse colleagues were far, far more innovative than previously neurotypically um, led uh, programs of work. So excited about this opportunity and so delighted I was asked to lead it. I love it. I love that you're, I mean, to start with the interview process that I feel like for, you know, anybody on the spectrum is intimidating to the point of I can't apply. I'm comfortable writing and coding, yes. but I'm, you know, horribly nervous and get tongue tied in front of people. And so to be able to work, but again, not even just for a few hours, but across four days is you really get to get to know people and like you said, for their side is giving them the power to feel like they're interviewing you. You're trying to see if it's a good fit. You're trying to see if this is the right place Excellent. for you. Yeah. I think that you guys are really thinking about the future in such an inclusive way. And it's great to see that there are new ideas and innovations, like you said, starting not just with the role, but even how you're finding people for the role. I was going to say, thinking of the next 10 years and, and how AI will change the way we're looking at things, um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you came to write a book about a, how you began to write AI by design and what pushed you to, to get there. Great. Well, I obviously love to talk about the book. So thanks for the opportunity. So it's, uh, it's on all of the usual platforms, including Amazon. Um, and what, what led me to write it was, um, as, a, as the CTIO of EY for UK and Ireland, I obviously am very close to how we are leveraging AI in our business to increase productivity and make the working environment way better for our colleagues. So if I look at one part of our business is our uh, our audit practice, our assurance practice. Those are individuals who are accountants um, who are well-skilled in financial management. And an awful lot of financial management is about um, reading documents and assessing uh, you know, finances. And so we developed using AI, a document intelligence platform that would read all of the information and spot anomalies. So now what we're doing is we're taking hundreds of hours of very mundane work away from our, our staff and letting them do the more exciting, interesting work, which is more the kind of investigation work, if you like. So the mundane has been removed by AI and the individuals have a much, much higher quality um, of engagement. And so when I thought about AI, I thought, well, we're doing it really, really well. We're doing some incredible projects and have some incredible people, but not every business has access to, you know, the 400,000 people that EY does. And also, obviously, we have worked with a plethora of clients around the world. So we're seeing what good looks like from some of our amazing um, big tech clients like Microsoft or SAP. So I thought to myself, how do we incentivize? How is it that we can train people in business who are not aware of AI, but also students going into business about AI? And that really was the germination of the book. What the book does is it sets out a way to design AI effectively. It uses a thing called the future back methodology. So you look at what you're actually setting out to achieve as a business, and then you work your way back, and it then creates a roadmap for designing your processes so that you get to the outcome you desire. What it also does is it takes the user on a journey 
or the reader on the journey about um, previously how things have been designed and automated through history. So it's got really good analogies in it to help you really understand and map um, the process uh, of AI back to things that we already are aware of. So it's an interesting book. I think it's um, it's going to it's going to be exciting for me to talk about it internally and also to clients because it just makes it so easy to understand. And hey, if we don't get this right, um, I mean, one good example that hit the press was um, was Amazon's recruitment team was using AI and their recruitment uh, and it's, it's publicly available information. Um, the recruitment team had used the high performers data in their organization to, they leveraged who was a high performer. And then they looked at the recruitment database and they said, okay, well, what we want to do is we want to recruit people who are like that. Unfortunately, the data therefore was based on high performers who were predominantly males across the world in their organization who were high performers. So what they were doing in the recruitment process was they were only taking males through the recruitment funnel. And they were therefore for, it was probably only for a couple of weeks, but they were only letting male candidates through the process. Now, you know, you and I would be incensed if that happened in our organization, right? So quite rightly, they were incensed. They went, what's happening? How has that happened? Well, the AI algorithm was set and no one thought about the design of that AI algorithm. That's what this book does. And that's what we do in EY. We think about the design because garbage in is garbage out. Right. And so what we do is we think about the design of the AI decision-making algorithm and ensuring the right data sets are monitored because the decisions are based on that data. So a uh, good example, not easy to do, but easy when you know how. So um, that's the know-how that's in the book. Oh, well, and thinking of your neurodiverse center and how they're going to start using, you know, neurodiversity into AI, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the new ideas that come out of that, too. And just like you said, they can only copy what they know right now. But the next 10 years, hopefully it will look completely different and then they can copy that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, Katrina, this has been really fun chatting with you. If you have a couple more minutes, I have two quick fire questions for you just to tell it off. So one is what technology did you find most useful during the pandemic? Uh, great question. Um, and you know, something I probably have to look to, I know this sounds really boring, but I probably have Teams. Without Microsoft Teams, which we rolled out well before the pandemic, uh, you know, I don't think we could have delivered our work because we weren't seeing clients. You know, I don't think we could have delivered our work and created the most phenomenal um, growth in our business and, and success for our clients, unless it had been for teams. But just a, a really interesting one. My daughter, who's 11, um, said, Mummy, you never leave that room. You know, you need to get out walking more. So one of the one of the things that I've done proactively is actually not use technology during the pandemic. So for two hours every day. So in the middle of the day at lunchtime and after work, um, I put the phone down, I leave it in the room, I leave it in the office and out we go for a walk. And um, I have found that to be really good for my, my personal mental health is put the technology down for a bit actually, Alka. <laughs> so, so teams and no tech. <laughs> yeah. Wait, and it's funny that you worked on Skype and teams hmm. by the way so I was like everybody thought Skype would be the winner of that battle you know <laughs> since I remember using that growing up yeah. too 
our our team also yeah, uses yeah. Teams, and and I do enjoy um, the easeability of the <laughs> calendar to click a video. Um, I think for me too, I, I put my phone down. I decided like not before coffee, and so I just try to leave it in there and enjoy the moment with the family. And then, okay, all the all the notifications can you know <laughs> be in an hour. And so my last question is, if you could go to the pub with any founder, any entrepreneur, who would you choose? Oh, gosh, how interesting. What a fabulous question. I mean, you know, probably the boring answer is Elon Musk. I mean, what a phenomenal <laughs> entrepreneur with, with just, you know, the, the, the craziest notions. And I just think he's phenomenal. However, um, closer to home, um, there is an organization that um, we've been working with recently called River Lane. And they're a uh, company that specializes in quantum. And so the um, CEO of that company, a guy called Steve Brierley, haven't met him yet. I'd love to go out for a beer with him. I think that would be really interesting because I think quantum is one of those things that people are talking about, don't necessarily understand the application, certainly within business. We're spending a lot of time investing, our, our research colleagues are spending a lot of time in investigating. What does that mean for our clients? What does that mean for us in terms of the encryption it allows, um, the quicker decision-making. What does that mean? What's the impact of quantum on, for instance, AI algorithms and the speed of learning for those, for those AI programs? So yeah, I think Steve would be someone really interesting to go out with uh, for a beer. Um, so there you go, two entrepreneurs. Yeah, we can get a hold of them. I mean, second, definitely the second one. Not, the first one's gonna be harder, but Elon, if you're listening, we'll, we'll take you out. <laughs> Oh, well, Katrina, thank you so much for joining us today. And this was another wonderful episode of Elevating Founders podcast. We hope you all can join us next time. Have a great day. That is it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. If you have any questions or comments, head over to our social channels linked in the show notes to join the conversation or email us at elevatedfounders@informer.com. If you did enjoy this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to our podcast, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. My name has been Sina Sadzada. I'll see you in the next episode.